Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Thursday, November 10th. For this special episode, we don't have an opening clip, and we're coming to you later in the week than normal. I just want to give you a, some updates and reflections on really the unexpected results from the midterms this Tuesday. You know, as you all know, we headed into these midterms talking about how big was the red wave going to be? Were the Republicans going to flip the Senate? How big would their win in the House be? What would it look like for a lot of potential defeats around the country and state level races? And that's just not what we saw on Tuesday. Instead, as many people are saying, the red wave became a red puddle. Democrats far outperformed expectations. And really, it's changed a lot of the political calculus and the longer term questions about where is our democracy headed? I'll start not with the balance of power, but with the other piece of real concern we had about our democracy was how would the election itself go? There were incredible concerns around misinformation and disinformation about attempts to disrupt the voting process around likely legal challenges, around protests, and by and large, those didn't occur. We saw isolated incidents in different places around the country, but overall we've seen more clear election outcomes. Most of those who have lost their elections have conceded defeat. Uh, we haven't seen any widespread violence. We haven't seen really any widespread protesting so far. So definitely kind of a sense of you know, catching our breath and maybe a renewed belief that we might get through this moment better than we feared. And I say all of that, and I can't quite believe I'm saying it out loud because we're both not through the election and we know how fast things could change. So we're recording this on Thursday. By the time you listen to this, the, even these words might be out of date or changed, but I hope they hold true that we came through this election largely unscathed and with largely a functioning democracy and a democratic process of voting and the transfer of power. In terms of other top lines, you probably know some of these, but just to lift them up because we need to pay attention to them. You know, control of the Senate is still in question down to just three races. Arizona is leaning Democratic. It's likely many of the pundits are predicting it, but experts and activists on the ground are disagreeing with each other on how the final 800 or 1,000 or so votes that remain to be counted may split. Even those who are hoping for one result or the other are disagreeing with each other on whether they think they're in a better or worse situation. So calling it likely dem is probably too soon. It really is an open question we won't know for a few more days. Similarly in Nevada, too close to call, although there the experts on the ground are saying that the outstanding ballots are mostly coming from places that have voted more heavily for uh, Senator Cortez Masto. So odds are looking a little better for her, but likely still an open question. Of course, we also don't know the outcome in Alaska, but that is ranked choice voting between two different Republican candidates. So it's a question of whether we'll see a more moderate Murkowski or a more far-right Trump-back winner in that election, but not going to affect the balance of power in the Senate, which leaves us with Georgia, um, where we'll be headed to a runoff, and we'll come back to talk about Georgia a little bit more in a moment. And of course, the other biggest news of the night um, about the Senate was that Fetterman flipped the Pennsylvania Senate seat in a clear win, flipping key control and giving that kind of opening for Democrats to hold or perhaps even increase by one seat their hold in the Senate. On the flip side, you know, on the House, the control question is still open, but is very likely that it's going to be going to Republican control. The real surprise is whereas, you know, 
Congressman McCarthy was saying that he expected a win of 60 or more seats picked up by the Republican Party, which was both a statement that's part political theater, but also the real expectation for a red wave. Instead, you're now seeing Republicans hoping for a majority of more than 10 extra seats. Right now, they have 207, um, with another 15 that are projected or leaning Republican. They need 218 to get to the majority. But we could see a single-digit Republican majority. And really, if that's the case, what you can expect to see is real fractures inside the Republican Party as the moderates who have held power are fighting an increasingly strong far-right caucus within their own party real questions, even if McCarthy, who's running for speaker, apparently is negotiating with the Freedom Caucus, the more far-right Freedom Caucus, and one of their requirements is, how would they remove him if they don't agree? So even negotiating his election tied to how he might be removed shows you the lack of unity on the Republican side. But we're going to have long waits for the rest of the outstanding races, especially in California, where any mail and ballot that was postmarked by Election Day will be counted if it has arrived through November 15th. It's important to remember in California primaries earlier this year, less than half of the eventually valid votes were counted by Thursday after Election Day. So less than half of all the California votes in the primary were counted by Thursday, uh, two days after Election Day. And really any lead within five or ten points could be reversed. That's the nature of the mail-in ballot and the really inclusive approach that California takes to allowing everybody to vote and have their votes be counted. So we just know that having an accurate count and having an inclusive process takes time. So we'll be sitting with those questions when we come back and talk next week and perhaps even the week after. At the state level, the big Republican news was DeSantis having such a strong win in Florida. It really strengthens his standing versus Trump looking towards a 2024 presidential run, especially as so many Trump-picked candidates lost. Now, Trump world is still holding out hope that he could come up with some wins in Nevada or Arizona to kind of buttress his claims of being really a kingmaker in the Republican Party. But you're seeing chatter at the moment around a weakening of Trump. How that plays out over the coming weeks is going to be something to look at. Trump teasing a announcement on November 15th, likely to that he is going to be running for office. Biden affirming he's going to be running for office. We're kicking into 24 just days after 2022 elections are finished. But overall, what you saw is voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, many other states rejecting Republican candidates who cast out on the 2020 election results. Um, you did see some candidates win in Ohio, North Carolina, and again, a real division More moderate places voted for more moderate or even progressive candidates. More conservative places voted conservative. And that polarization trend really held true. You saw Democrats flip and hold more governorships, including expectations like Massachusetts and Maine that had been held by moderate Republican governors before. But surprisingly was also that Democrats did so well in some state legislative chambers where they picked up control of the Minnesota Senate, the Michigan House and the Michigan Senate, providing a Democratic trifecta control in Michigan for the first time in 40 years, and possibly the Pennsylvania House and the New Hampshire State House. And interesting aside on New Hampshire, where we talk about does every vote count? Well, current unofficial results are 203 Republican seats and 197 seats for Democrats in the New Hampshire State House. It's the biggest state house in terms of number of representatives in the whole country. And the House clerk announced that it's important to note that many of those races were close, 
Recounts could change the makeup of the House. Democrats needed to pick up 22 seats to get to a 200-200 tie. And as of the final unofficial count, they only gained 19 instead of 22. So they need three more from recounts. And there are six races where the current margin is less than 10 votes each. Democrats trail in four of them by five, four, three, and one vote, respectively. So examples, and we saw lots of examples all over the country of close races in the hundred or a thousand votes out of hundreds of thousands or millions of vote casts. So lots of close races all over the country. A couple of other things I'd draw folk attention to. Of course, you know, support for abortion right now appears to be one of the big reasons the Democrats defied history. All of the polls said that economics was coming out ahead as a concern more than abortion. Democrats banked on the question of abortion, riding the wave of anger after the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And in total, Democrats and their allies spent over $500 million on ads mentioning abortion, twice what they spent on crime and eight times as much as Republicans spent on anything talking about abortion. And it really proved to carry the day. In Pennsylvania, abortion overtook the economy as the top issue on voters' minds, according to a lot of the exit polls. Even as exit polls are suspect, this seems to be an enduring pattern. And you can see where in Michigan, nearly half of voters said abortion was their top issue. All five of the abortion-related ballot measures seem to be heading in a pro-choice direction. California, Vermont, and Michigan all voted to protect abortion access by putting it in their state constitutions. Kentucky voters rejected an anti-choice ballot measure. And with about 90% of votes counted in Montana, it looks like voters in Montana are also rejecting a personhood amendment and voting in favor of choice. So this doesn't end the conversation. If anything, we'll see it to be even more charged in 24, but really kind of challenged the narrative and the public opinion and polls that said, oh, it was the economy. Actually, abortion really drove. We also saw kind of ongoing shifts around uh, other big issues. So Maryland, Colorado, and Missouri all passing pro-legalization for marijuana in Maryland and Missouri and decriminalizing and regulating certain psychedelics in Colorado all passed. We saw conservative places like North and South Dakota and Arkansas vote against legalizing cannabis. So split, again, really around political orientation with Missouri being an outlier and mostly on the voting rights. Really good night. Connecticut allowing early voting, Michigan adding vote, pro-voter policies to their state constitution, and pushing for kind of those protections. You saw some restrictions in Nebraska and Ohio pass. Arizona still too close to call. But some big shifts and moves that'll have implications for our democracy long term. What they won't impact is what's going the next piece that we'll be focusing on for the next few weeks, because it'll define so much, as, and the last thing for this podcast, our Georgia runoff. It's going to be on December 6th, so it's been shortened. It's only four weeks for the runoff because Republicans passed a law earlier this year changing the runoff dynamics from the last Georgia Senate runoff. So this means with a shortened time period, there's no chance for new voter registrations. Instead, it's only a get-out-the-vote dynamic. And frankly, we're going to expect to see hundreds of millions of dollars flooding into Georgia over the next few weeks if, as expected in the next few days, it and Senate control hinges on the runoff between Herschel Walker and Senator Raphael Warnock. You know, this is, Georgia's been a longtime red state, becoming more purple. People are wondering, like, how did this happen? It happened because you've got a very divided state. 
It happened because millions and millions of dollars pouring into the state. It happened because more restrictive laws made it harder for some Democratic base voters to be able to turn out and vote, harder to get to drop off a ballot, longer poll lines. And it happened because people are paying attention to where are the balancing moments in a very polarized society. But we're going to be paying attention to it. Everyone expected a runoff. We got a runoff. And we're in this place. I would say it's actually a real sign of where is American democracy. We made it through this election. Everyone, we can release our breath a little bit, but we're not past it. Next will be a runoff. After that will be ongoing work. Uh, But for this moment, that's all I have for reviewing this major week of developments in American democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, and I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.